Hello and welcome to Bramcast, a podcast by the Bram Stoker Club of the University Philosophical Society, Trinity College Dublin. My name is Stephen O'Sullivan and I'll be your host for today. Today we're joined by the legend of Irish film and theatre that is Noel Pearson. Noel started his career as band manager of the Dubliners. He'd then move on to theatre, producing shows in Dublin, Broadway and the West End. He served as director of the Abbey Theatre in the 1980s before getting into film production. His first movie, My Left Foot, was nominated for five Oscars and won two. Many credit My Left Foot with kicking off the rebirth of the Irish film industry from the 90s on. Noel would go on to produce other contemporary classics, such as The Field and Dancing at Lunasa, and he remains fiercely active in the industry, despite a low media presence. Today, we discuss his unlikely career in the arts. We talk about the role of a producer, their relationship with actors and directors, about the influence of published critics, the legacy of the Dubliners, of My Left Foot and his other works. We delve into the difference between the music, film and theatre industries, whether financiers impact whether great art is made or not, and Noel offers some advice for the next generation of Irish artists. Before we start, a quick thank you to our sponsor, EY, for their continued support. Noel, thank you very much for coming on to Bramcast. No, you're welcome, yeah. Um, I suppose to get started, how would you describe the role of a producer? to somebody who knows nothing about the theatre or film industry? He's, he, well, he's supposed to be the guy or the woman who puts it all together, yeah? Uh, everybody just uh, assumes that producers just go out and get the money. Well, that's part of the job. But for me, I just get involved in everything from the director to the casting to the design, everything, yeah. And what's the best relationship for like a producer with the director, the lead actors, would you be hands-on? Should it be laissez-faire? Well, I don't have anything to do with it. Once we, and the actors are cast to do the job, that's it. The director takes over then. But we would look at the rushes every day or every second day and just talk about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. And would there be, would it be a confrontational relationship no. with the director beforehand? No. no, never. Well, I've had one or two, but not really. Not really, yeah. And going back years now, um, say, when you were producing The Field, yeah, I believe there was a contention as to whether Richard Harris should have played the role or not, was there? Well, nobody wanted Richard Harris, but he was a pal of mine, yeah? And uh, they, Granada put up the money for it, yeah? And they wanted him to come to Manchester to audition. And I said, forget it. And they said, what do you mean? I said, just, that, what I mean is, forget it. He's not going. He's been around too long for you. So we went to dinner that night and they were, I said, listen, it's as simple as this. It's five o'clock now. I'll be home at about half eight, nine o'clock. If there's not a check at the hotel when I go back, forget it. We'll go somewhere else. And guess what? There was a million dollars. They put it under the door of the hotel, yeah. Wow. And Ray McDally was originally meant to... He was. It was his idea. Okay. What happened was Ray McDally did my left foot. Uh, because uh, Neil Tobin said he was offered it first, but he wouldn't do it for the money. But we only had a mi- little over a million to make my left foot, yeah. And then I met Ma- Ray McDally at the airport, and we were coming out. And he says, what are you up to? And I told him. And he, I said, would you be interested in playing the fathers? We should send me the script. So he lived in Avoca. I sent him the script, and he called me. He said, okay, I'll do it. Well, that's how it is. And... Just looking back now, it's hard to imagine someone else beside Richard Harris to play 
the boom that came. But it is, it is, yeah. How did they differ in their interpretation of the role? Well, I never saw Ray McAnally do it. I did see Neil Tobin play it, the bull. See, Harris was the, he hadn't made a movie for 12 years. So he was, the, this was his big re-entry. So he went up and he studied it. Like, and went, like for example, when he arrived, he was a day late in the West Up and he had a beard and nobody could say, what is this? And he said he'd researched it and he had a book with farmers at, but it was 1910, 1920, and the period of the film was, I don't know what it was, 50s, I suppose, supposed to be. And uh, anyway, he went on, and he just was going to do it his way, and that was it, you know. There was a bit of tension on that, you know. Okay. Yeah. And The Field was the second movie you, you made, right? After In My Left Yeah, yeah, The Field was the second one, yeah. Okay. And how, was, how does the dynamic change, working with the actor and the director, with going from theatre to the films? Well, in the theatre, um, you just talk to the director all the time, you know. Uh, in, the, in film, it's, it's the preparation for film is infinitely greater than for the theatre. You're cut a months. Like, we're working on a film now about Louise Brooks, going to be shot in Austria, and it won't be shot till September. And we're st we haven't even cast it yet, you know. But we're still working on the mechanics of making it there. Mm -hmm. And given there's only one shot of the film, whereas if you're constantly like talking with the director of the theatre show, is the opening night the best night to go to the theatre, do you think? Or do you think after alterations have made after a week or two? Well, there's very few... Um, it's not alterations. Would, it's the interpretations change of it. And uh, the theatre, you see, you only have the one night because... As opposed to cinema, the critics are much more powerful in the theatre than they are in cinema. Okay. So uh, there was a time here, you know, uh, I, I don't think it's now, that I know in New York, for example, if the New York Times panned you, that was good night. But if they gave you a rave, you were away. Okay. And do you think that's a good... Uh... No, that's the way it's just been for years. Now, I don't know what it's like now. I haven't done anything there for 20-odd years, yeah. Do you think that we lost out in some great pieces of, of uh, theatre then because some 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 writer yeah, in the New some, York Times? Yeah, some fellow didn't, a uh, critic or... The, the, New York, the, like in My Left Foot, for example, the, there was a thing there's, uh, called the New York's Critic Circle, and that's a big deal, yeah? Mm -hmm. And we got okay review in the New York Times, but Pauline Kale, she was with the New Yorker, she was the big goddess, she gave it a rave, and that was the end. That was the film was away then, yeah. Okay, and my left foot was. Did you realize the cultural impact it ha it would have in Ireland? No. When you were making it. See, I knew Christy Brown very well. That's how it. When I talked about making this way back in the seventies, he asked me to get Marilyn Brando to play him, <laughs> and he wasn't joking. That's the way. He, that's the way he thought. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like he aimed. He was, a, he was an amazing, amazing guy. When you think that the only limb he had use of was his left foot, mm -hmm. and he lived, he drank too much. That was his problem in the end, yeah. Well, why do you think that movie had um, such an impact? Because I know, I, I, this is some research I was reading, that it didn't have much, many people didn't have faith in it. No, nobody had faith in it. No. no. I was in a nightclub one night, and a friend of mine, who was a big deal, rock and roll, 
came up to me and said, how much have you spent on this so far? And I said, why? Because you're making a terrible mistake and you're a good mate of mine. I'll repay you now to give it up, you know? Wow. Jesus, is a good job you didn't. I told him to go. Uh, anyway. It'd be a bit of a maverick in that respect. It was, you yeah, that it was, yeah, yeah. But it's, see, it's, I think I knew nothing about film, which was very good, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, I needed a Jim Sheridan. Like, he had to buy a phrase book the, the week before to know whether to say action or cut and all that. He didn't have a clue, you know? Wow. And w- w- what um, advantage do you think that gave you in your career? See, so, like your the career up until then in theatre, not having a formal qualification? Well, I just think it was, there is no qualification. <laughs> I mean, you just have to go out and do it. Yes. Because each film is different. When you're making a film, there may be 100 people on the set. That's a lot of people, you know. On the stage show, there's maybe seven or eight. But say now, like, if film would be a, a somewhat popular college course to do. Yeah. Do you think there is, um, is, is that just, is there value in that? Or is it just a, a bad swing towards credentialism and that you need a film circle? Well, the big thing of learning to film is the uh, script is everything at the beginning, you know, before you start on it, you know. Try and get the script right, you know. Uh, uh, because the, the script determines the casting, the costs, everything, you know. And I guess I think it was just after the field, you said, um, you described like a, a renaissance in Irish art, poetry, uh, rock music. Could you describe the scene of the Irish arts beforehand? Because if there was a renaissance, like you say, sh- there must have been a drought for some Well, don't forget the field was in the early 90s, 91, I think. Uh, and... Uh, in the nineties, I remember it very well. Uh, the, my left foot had been a big kit, and you two. I was at Radio City Music Hall. Place was jammed. There were standing ovations, and there was a whole combination. Miss Heaney was a big deal in poetry. I don't know what happened, but in the early nineties, there was a huge explosion of the arts. You know. Did we make use of it? Do you think? I think we did very, very well. I think I remember. Uh, I became friendly with Seamus Heaney, you know, and he, he didn't understand it either, you know, and none, none of us did. It just, just happened. It was just, thing, it's coincidence. And do, do you, like, there's been fierce success recently now, say, just of late, say, um, the Manchester of Sharon and Colin Kuhn. You have writers like uh, Claire Keegan, uh, Sally Rooney, yeah. Dermot Kent, like music too. Do you think yeah. we're in the midst of another? I don't know. And Colin Kuhn was one of the best films I've seen in years. It was beautiful, beautiful film, you know. But uh, Claire is terrific, you know. Claire, uh, who knows? It comes and goes. Mm-hmm. You've got to take the good times or the bad times, you know, mm-hmm. or the rough times, really. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. And do you think government supports would have a big impact in that, um, on whether a renaissance comes about? Well, there's a big movement in Europe at the moment. Uh, this film we're making about Germany, we're going to shoot it in Austria. Not mainly because well, it's much more... Uh, we can't do it here anyway, because uh, see, the locations are not... Berlin, there's no Berlin in Dublin. But the tax incentives in Europe are much greater than here. Much greater, yeah. And do you think financiers in... Um, in, in the broader sense, private financiers. Yeah. Do you think they're actively imp- impeding good works of art now because they say, effectively, we won't make money on that? 
or do you think they are? Well, you don't invest in film to make money either. Okay. You just, if you like it, do it. If you want to do it, and it's a punt. It's as simple as that, you know. Uh, I had a couple of fellows who invested here and the films didn't work and they never stopped moaning about it. Whereas in America, they know it's a punt and they never moan, yeah. And so it wouldn't be a lucrative business to get into? No. So how did you make, was, you started in the music business, right? Yeah, yeah. Was that a lucrative business? Yeah. Or is why did you change? Because you get fed up with it. I was 20 years doing it, you know, uh, 1970 to 90, yeah. It's a long time. Forgive me if that sounded like a cynical no, take. Just no, no, but aspect. it is. Well, I didn't go into film business for money, I mean, or to lose or make money. It was just, that's what was around at the time. I was in Montreal when Christy uh, Brown died, yeah. Mm -hmm. And uh, this woman, a journalist, called me to, to ask me about it, and I spoke to her. Then I started to think about the conversations I used to have with him. Uh, and he was joking in, about Marilyn Brando, and I said, maybe I should look. And I got a book out. That's how it all started in 82, 83, yeah? It wasn't made till 88. And, geez, looking back, I mean, the, the standard of, of, of talent that worked in a movie was incredible. You must, like, how did, how did you decide as to who would work in that film? Because, I mean, like you said yourself, it was Jim Sheridan's first movie. It was Daniel Day-Lewis's first Oscar. Brenda Ficker's first Oscar. Like, doesn't these people had incredible careers yet to come, and you seem to be able to... Well, Brenda Fick was a friend of mine. She, I'd worked with her in the theatre. The designer, Joan Bergen, was uh, f f worked in the theatre with me as well for years, the fashion, the costume designer. Jim Sheridan, I'd worked with him in the theatre, yeah? Uh, he had played a younger being, strangely enough, in The Barcel Boy we did in The Gaiety. Tomas McConnell directed it, and uh, Neil Tobin played the older being. So I knew him. And Daniel Day-Lewis was just, Elmer Bernstein was a great friend of me, the composer, and he did the music for My Left Foot and the field. And uh, he had just finished a film called Stars and Bars, and they did the music in Dublin. And I was living in Wicklow, so I invited them all out for drinks after the thing, and Daniel Day-Lewis was sitting there, he was out of his mind, well, not out of his mind, but he was feeling no pain. And he asked me, what was I doing next? I said, I'm working on this film. And he said, what's it about? And I told him. And he didn't say anything. He didn't say yay or nay. And then a few days later, Tom Hickey called me. He said, you know, that fellow is fascinated by the idea of playing Christy Brown. So I sent him the script. The next day he called him. He said, I'll do it. And that was, that was maybe not his first, but it was one of the most severe method acting cases, right? Yeah, well, he, uh, My Beautiful Laundrette, I think, was his first, was it? I think it was. One of his early, I think it was. He only made two films before that, yeah. Uh, but he wanted to be a stage actor. He, he, in Bristol, he went to school. He went to the University of Bristol, yeah. And uh, he was... Like when he gets into a role, he gets obsessed with it. You know, he plays Christy Brown on and off the screen. When you're for those six or eight weeks, he talks to you like Christy Brown. Yeah, would it, would it, you know, it's heavy jelly. <laughs> would, it, would it get under your skin sometimes? No, no, no. You just avoid him. After the yeah, yeah. But he went into a um, a place in Sandymount, a, a wonderful home for kids. Uh, you, you know, uh, and he stayed there. He went every day for six weeks. And a couple of the young kids, 16, 17, fell in love with him, you know? 
and he was he was more upset about that than you know but he just loved it and do do you you once lamented the fact that i think it was the 90s as well that the tra- tra- trajectory of acting was going you either played theater or you played film yeah has that gotten better in any or do you think that's gotten well, I, I think now they're doing both yeah the theater i don't know what's uh I don't know what I haven't seen. I was at the theatre recently, but I don't. I don't know what's going on. You know, <laughs> really. Is it a different skill? Do you think? Uh, from where? From like acting in front of the the hundreds. In of course, it is. Yeah, because you you have them there in front of you, mm-hmm. and you get the reaction instantly if you're an actor. You know, less is best in the film. The the. There used to be a great actor called Burgess Meredith. Do you know who he was? He was a coach. And he used to say, when Irish actors came, he used to say to them, less is best, less is best. Because actors then were always taught to project to hit the back wall. But you don't have to do that in film. It's all internal. And if you were to give advice now, say for the next generation of people in college now, they're thinking of getting into the arts. Uh, what would you give them in that you see it's not um, that lucrative a career how should one go about it trying to balance you know making a living with also dedicating their full passion to the project they're working on well, it's, 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 nowadays it's quite different because there's so many television film uh, I don't think you go into the arts certainly to acting or producing or directing to make money you know you have to go into it if you really feel that's what you really want to do, yeah. Was was that always your ambition as a young fella? No, no, I was a socialist. I was a trade unionist. When I was 18 or 19, I was on the Dublin Council of Trade Unions. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So could, could you walk me through how you did end up in it? So if, um, and was there much of an overlap between those no, two No, there was no identities? money. I had no money. I was getting paid, I can't remember, peanuts for a big English company. And then I was at a, a used to Anglesey was a tennis club at Anglesey Road and I thought the, the relief band uh, the, the band that came on first the intro was terrific and Bobby Balla was playing the guitar not the painter yeah. and I said jeez and I talked to the main band he was a friend of mine Vic Mellows so I met them and then I didn't have a clue what management was or managing or, so I got them a, a job and anyway we, 15 quid between the six of us, and we went to the fishing chipper afterwards and spent our money on it. Yeah. Very good. Yeah. And you, you took the Dubliners to Europe, right? Like, it, it kind of broadened their audience outside. Yeah, uh, well, they had been to Europe, but in a very small way. But in 1970, we started to go to Europe big time, yeah. Okay. Why do you think the Dubliners had such a cultural impact when compared to other con- bands at that time? Well, uh, there were, uh, Luke Kelly had an amazing voice, you know. I mean, he be, could be drinking all night, but the next night he sang, like, just amazing, you know. And Ronnie Drew had a great character. He just was an amazing character. And there was a great combination of Barney McKenna on the banjo, and uh, uh, it was just very... Uh, Ronnie Drew formed the Dubliners, you know. It was just a lucky formation of these characters. They had very little in common between them, you know. Yeah. And do you think the 
like that contributed to like that they became more than some of their parts since well i i don't know luke kelly kind of had a he left the dubliners twice you know but he came back and uh it was just for them it was a great way of making a living you know i mean they used to be singing in the pubs like o'donoghue's and all that and they used to get tuppence for it you know but now, now they start to make a decent living you know was there had you much trouble like organizing them no to, or were they were are their stories kind of overblown no of i mean that uh, timekeeping was a bit of a especially for barney barney used to blame the the danes on putting their clocks an hour ahead of us it's not my fault that they can't keep the same time and he meant it you know yeah. and he'd be an hour late you know sometime in europe you know okay but they were extremely extremely entertaining you know yeah you know and if not, if not as 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 the band manager if that didn't bring you make much say heartache what project in your past now was it just jesus like it was a heartbreak project like it was just really la, difficult la. to do i don't know in america there was a big star called archie bunker he was the highest paid television star and this very nice pal of mine wrote this play and we did it on broadway and we closed in two nights and he was the hottest thing in america and i couldn't believe it you know so it just you never know and then on, on, on another example of a broad i believe was dancing with lunas started on broadway did it no then it started here in the abbey yeah and then you subsequently made it into the movie right yeah okay. years years later now okay and Do you think the adapt is it is it even worth trying to compare them the adapt like the film adaptation versus the play or do just different things should be viewed at, as distinct entities? Uh, yeah, but the, I uh, the film was a different uh, to the stage play because it had to be, but maybe it was too different. I don't know, you know. You had um, Meryl Streep starting that, obviously. Yeah, yeah. She. Um, do you think? Um, Bringing like an incredible uh, actress as she is, the Irish ca can sometimes get a bit. I don't know, is it too look as the word, and that the Irish role should be played by an Irish Irish character. Do you give any credence to that opinion at all, or should it, like you couldn't get it made without Meryl Streep? It was as simple as that. Okay. <laughs> yeah. In in what way now is it just? She's the Americans like I won the Tony for that. You see, you know, and uh, what's his name, Michael Douglas presented Tony. And he, Luganza, he called it. And he said, and everybody started to laugh. And he said, what have I done? I said, it's lunacy, you don't pronounce the G. So people couldn't, but that ran, you couldn't get a seat for that for nearly a year. Every night it was full. And was Brian Friel happy with? Delighted, delighted. Yeah. yeah. Who do you think is the most underrated Irish playwright? I mean, you work with, I mean, you work with absolute legends. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, uh, I don't know. This, just the mere fact that you write a play and finish a play is an achievement, I think, in itself, you know? Okay. Yeah. What one of your projects do you think deserved the most credit but got the least? I don't know. Um, 
there was, there was a, a film we made with Corbin Walker. Do you know who he is? He's a painter, sculptor, and uh, and a great cast: Matt Dillon, Gabriel Byrne, and uh, uh, didn't know anything, yeah. And but uh, Corbin was. There's a book on dwarfs, and he, they hate that name, they don't say it now. It got rave reviews and that, and he was fantastic in it, you know. And I was amazed it didn't do anything in America, yeah. It did okay here, not great, but it did okay. Do you think there's, um, not necessarily exclusive to that piece of work, but there are just simply some pieces of art that need a few decades to be appreciated? I mean, one of the attractions of art is you don't really know how it's going to come out. It's the journey that's exciting, you know. Mm-hmm. It's just if you all knew it's going to be, if you do this, this, and this, it'll be a hit. Well, that's nonsense. That's not art, you know. If you had all the money in the world now, say, no bother with finance, is there any project you would work on, music, film, or theatre? I am. We're working on two things at the moment. One is uh, German uh, set in Germany, and uh, the other is, I don't know whether it'll happen or not, there's so many problems with it, is Phil Linnett's mother, Philomena Linnett. And I knew her quite well, you know. Uh, and we, I don't know whether it'll ever happen or not, but I think it's a, she was an amazing woman, you know. Uh, so we'll see. I, I The, the, um, the film about Louise Brooks in Germany will definitely happen. Whether Phil did it, well, I don't know. And we have a project on Samuel Beckett, but that's been going around for a long time. It's the problem is the script is that needs a lot of work, you know. Okay. Slightly off tangent, but Beckett is a piece of work, breath. Yeah. And perhaps I'm not cultured enough in the arts to understand, but to the shortest play ever written, I think. Yeah. It's hard to make a hand of it. I, I, listen. When I lived in New York, I went, there was a up uh, off Broadway. There was a festival of Beckett for three nights. Every play it starts at four o'clock now, and I went for one whole day. Oh my God! The film we had on this opens here. We opened him playing cricket in Trinity. Yeah, and when this was a very important place for him, you know, and he loved the place, you know. Uh, very strange place, but he was. I think he's the real deal, but I never met him, but I know a few people who did, yeah. And uh, he was fond of his jar as well, yeah. But he, he, I don't know what you can make of it, but he was, he was a genius, there's no question, yeah. Is there any project that you regret not taking up? No. No. No, I, 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 uh, no, I just don't. Uh, regrets is no. If you're a producer, you, you should have very little space for regrets, you know, <laughs> because the, you don't. Uh, if so what difference does it make? You just get on with the next thing, you know. Last question now: If you were to come up with pieces of art, be they music, film, theater, um. That should be required consumption yeah. for young Irish people today. What would you put on that list? Oh, well, I think they should. Uh, 
the theater should be the basis of the stage, should be the basis of your, if you're into film or theater, you know, or both. Because one will lead to the other, or can lead to the other. It doesn't always work out that way, but it can. And I think that, I think people should go to the, the parents should bring their kids to the theater earlier to, to see what it's about. You know, everybody used to deride the panto and everything. The panto brought a lot of people to the theatres, children, you know. Uh, and musical theatres looked down a lot, especially here, you know, in Ireland, but not in America or Britain even, you know. But I think, like, if you enjoy it, you enjoy it. Don't be kind of... Like, I think Beckett was fantastic for his expansive view of, of the arts. I mean, he didn't... I mean, but the visual arts, the painting, the theatre. He just, I mean, Tony Cronin's book on Beckett is is a great read. I mean, he was just amazing guy, yeah. Very good. Um, Noel Pearson, it was an honour to have you on Bramcast. Not at all, not at all. No. You're welcome. That was our discussion with Noel Pearson. If you enjoy the podcast, please like and subscribe. Until next time. Thank you for listening to Bramcast.